Welcome back into the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. This is mile 6.2. We have reached the 10K mark, and Ben has set a PR. We are presented, as always, by Run In, and our email is secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Please contact us with your questions, thoughts, and ideas. Our gift card giveaway from last week is still open. So send in those thoughts about your running destination vacation from a World Cup country. The best one's going to get a $20 run-in gift card. We have to give a special shout-out to the inaugural Greenville Microbrew champion, our very own Drew Simmons. That man knows how to handle his hops. We have a fantastic interview tonight with 25k american road racing record holder christo landry but first we are going to get into an amazing weekend of racing it was usa championships this weekend and the western states 100 mile endurance run so my man benji let's dive right into u.s champs my big takeaway shelby Houlihan. Woo! 1500 meter and 5k double she won with a last lap sub 58 in the 1500 meters to beat out jenny simpson who we talked about earlier this spring having such a great start to her season set an american two mile record but shelby houlihan stealing the show benjamin is she a 2020 olympic medal contender she's definitely in the conversation I mean, Jenny Simpson has medaled how many times now at World Championship Finals? And to beat her twice this year in relatively quick races has been really impressive. And I was amazed how much she bounced back from that 1500 with that crazy burst of speed down the final straightaway in the 5K. It just showed that that really didn't take so much out of her. And she might be the strongest distance runner in America on the track. Absolutely. If you were advising her, which we're always advising to some degree here, 1,500 or 5K? 1,500 at the Olympics. American distance women just aren't at the level yet where Ethiopians and Kenyans are. They're not able to go under 1,430 and even flirt with 1,420s. Uh, Shelby is a solid runner, and she could challenge the American record in the 5K, in my opinion, run something under 1,450. But if the East Africans want to make the race fast, she can't contend. But she's able to run a fast enough 15 that if they do run fast... She's able to. I agree. I'd go 1,500, and I think she showed the last lap speed that is a necessity to be competitive on the Olympic stage. And in men's middle distance action, we saw medalists from the 2016 Olympic Games, Clayton Murphy, Matthew Centrowitz, back on top, both winning American championships. Benjamin, who made a bigger statement this weekend? I think it was Clayton Murphy. The way he won that 800 was the toughest way you could run a 146, coming back in a 51.9. His strength is at an all-time high, in my opinion. Running that 353 mile a couple weeks ago, it showed in that 800. He destroyed the NCAA champion down the final straightaway. I'm really excited to see him round back into form. It was a really impressive race, and it was very atypical of Clayton's racing style. He went straight to the front. Yeah, went straight to the front. I guess he maybe just didn't like the pace and went up there where he was in first or second for the entirety of the first lap. And a guy who's normally moving from the back late using his clothes. And he held off Isaiah Harris. There was a little contact around around the curve, and he skinnied up a little bit. 
and got him on the turn and held him off, as Benjamin said. That mile strength, which I think has always been part of the long-term plan for Clayton Murphy. They, I think, saw him as a miler to a degree when he was back at, at Akron, and then he had so much early success in the 800. We think of him now more as a half miler, but he's using that strength, and he looks like he's rounding back into form. Centro, Back on top in the 1500. Yeah, cool to see that. The only reason I didn't think his statement was bigger than Clayton's was that it was only a 343 race. Yeah. Which is like a 401. And a guy who's ran 350 should be able to win that race a hundred different ways. So it wasn't as impressive to me. I would agree with that. And I also think the depth of the field relative to the 800 is a factor as well. So great showing from Clayton Murphy. My other takeaway that I loved was the Lopez LeMong story. We mentioned Lopez last week in our summer reading list. He was on one of our autobiographies. And Lopez LeMong, who a decade ago was an Olympian at 1,500 meters, is now the American 10K champion in 2018. We haven't seen that in a very long time, Ben. 102 years. I can barely remember it. (laughs) <laughs> Lopez Lamong has been in kind of a bit of a down period for several years in competition. And since, since the 2012 Olympics, it's yeah, kind of tapered off a little bit. Yeah, me. I think that's fair. And it's great to see a former American flag bearer, a guy with an effervescent and always positive spirit bouncing back. He's back on the main stage now as American 10K champion. And he closed really strong on the last lap and kind of blew the doors off everybody. Yes, for sure. And it's interesting that this was his first year running the 10,000 on the track, too, and he ended up U.S. champion. I wonder if the 10,000 idea came from the fall when his brother Peter, who was a standout at Northern Arizona University, finished eighth at the 10K cross-country championships. Yeah, that was a pretty awesome performance by Peter that helped carry Northern Arizona to a championship. So it's running in the family this year. Great Definitely. performance from the LeMongs. A couple other races to touch on. My favorite race of the weekend was a fantastic performance in the men's 110 hurdles as former Oregon Duck Devin Allen edged out NCAA champion Grant Holloway from Florida by two one-hundredths of a second in a photo finish. Two likely Olympians for us in 2020 right there in that battle. In an event that we did not win a medal in in 2016, so they might be our best hope to get back on that stage. And then the Upstate's own Sandy Morris wins another American championship in the pole vault. For the locals, she will be in Greenville on Friday, July 27th. And Benji, what was your highlight from Des Moines this weekend? Oh, it was the men's 100 with Noah, a.k.a. Little Lyles, running 9.88 be the fastest performer this year and the number nine performer all time a guy we normally think of as a 200 meter runner takes the 100 crown noah lyles is the future of american sprinting christian coleman wasn't there that's not in the race or gatlin yep but uh, as we look at our young stars coleman in the 100 lyles in the 200 most likely pretty potent combination definitely a cool aside Um, At the age of 20, Noah Lyles is now better at the 100 meter and 200 meter than Usain Bolt was at the same age. As well as me. Oh, definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yep. Now, let's transition to Western States, 100.2 miles in the scorching heat in California this weekend. Our predictions last week were pretty strong. Tell the people what happened, Ben. Bang, bang. Uh Uh-oh. 
That is the motto of the Coconino Cowboys standout, Jim Walmsley. The temps were hot, but the pace was hotter as Jim Walmsley went 14 hours, 30 minutes, and 5 seconds to setting new course record at the country's most historic 100-mile race. As Travis mentioned, our predictions tended to be pretty true. Um, We predicted the top two finishers correctly. Um, It was a day for experience as well. In fourth place was uh, Ian Sharman, who this guy is a stud and super reliable at this race. He had his ninth consecutive top 10 finish at Western States. That's just mind-boggling to me that someone can be that consistent. And Walmsley was a little more patient early on. He waited a little while before he he took the lead. He didn't lead up the escarpment for once. There you go. He took the lead, held on, set a course record, and ran into some obstacles along the way as well. Uh, He was coming in, what was it, the last four miles? Yeah, I think it was around 94 maybe. Yeah, and he had to wait for a mama bear and her cubs to get off the trail. Cost him about 10 minutes. As loyal listener JR texted me this weekend, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, at Western (laughs) States. Well said, buddy. Had to slow it down for a sec, still pulled through in a record pace. Such an awesome guy, so deserving after the last two years there. A, a truly a redemption story for Walmsley. What else did you take away from Western? So on the women's side, we also correctly predicted uh, the women's winner, Courtney Dawalter. Uh, she was super patient in the early going. I think through 20 miles, she, she was back in like 14th or 15th place. But for me, the big takeaway was the third place finisher, uh, Lucy Bartholomew. This was her debut at the 100-mile distance. Uh, Lucy is a 22-year-old from Australia. Strong history of women's athletics in Australia. Yes, and though she was a greenhorn, Lucy did not race like it. She went straight to the front and had a commanding lead for the first 50 miles of the race. She made an assault on the course record and I believe at one point was 19 minutes under pace. She ultimately paid for it with the 106-degree temperature, but a great performance by her. Also, for our listeners, the Georgia Death Race has opened up their lottery. This race gets you a ticket into the lottery for Western States. So if you're interested in running the race, we uh, urge you to enter this lottery. Our manager here, Dane Simmons, will be entering trying to get under that 24-hour barrier at Western States. So we had a ton of fun this weekend watching both the U.S. champs and tracking results at Western States, and we had a record-breaking day at Western States, and a record-breaker is joining us for an interview. Had the pleasure of recording an interview with Christo Landry, who has American Road Racing Championships at the 10K, 10-mile, half-marathon, and 25K distances. All right, we are excited to welcome in 25K American record holder, Christo Landry. Christo, welcome to the show. It's great to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to have you in. Let's start right there. If you could take us to your American record performance in Grand Rapids in 2014 in the 25K and just kind of describe that day. Okay, well, uh, it is one of the smaller U.S. championship races. And they have a 5K, a 10K, and a 25K, and those are kind of all going off at the same time. So in the morning, uh, when you get up, you don't. They just recently instated a elite athlete tent. So before that, you just kind of put your stuff in the lobby of the hotel, hope someone would watch over it, stuck it under um, some 
benches and some couches and then went out for your warm-up, came back. <laughs> just, you know, the start line is maybe 15 feet from the hotel exit, so it's actually easier just to go back up to your hotel room to use the bathroom and then come back down, which <laughs> is not a situation you find in most races. And then um, you start on the, you get on the start line, they actually move you up from where the start line actually says you start about five feet ahead or so, and that's where the official measured start line is. Okay. But they just put us ahead so it's easier for us to go up there. Um, there aren't too many racers, elite athletes in this field. It's one of the smaller fields. So there might be 15 men, 15 women or so, and we go out, and they've got this big, huge truck. And every year after this, I've kind of mentioned it, but um, it is this big, huge farm truck. And we ate exhaust the entire race. <laughs> Perfect conditions for an American record. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but every year afterwards, they, you know, I've mentioned it, and they've been very cognizant of it, and it's been fantastic. They've put it further out, and it's, it hasn't been a deal. It just you know, took someone mentioning, hey, it's a little close. We know the photographers want to be close, but we'd rather not suck down exhaust for 15 miles. Hey, the first thing that makes me think of is the Nike Breaking 2, how they used the electric vehicles for the pace car to make sure they didn't get any exhaust yeah. back on the runners. Well, they, they do that in um, the Gate River Run, too. They get the souped yeah. up um, golf carts. Yeah. Then again, one time I was racing that, and they shoehorned my agent into driving one of them, and he's like died halfway through, so he almost... <laughs> ran Ben True and I off the course, bashed into us off the course, noted that both of us were his athletes. <laughs> and he almost took out both of his athletes. That's good management. We, we ended up dodging and finishing 1-2 despite our agent's best efforts. <laughs> ben True crushed me in the kick at the end of that one. Uh, so the 25K, you start off, you go out about two miles in um, uh, on the more industrial side of the city, and then you hit this like two, three-mile stretch through the forest, which is just utterly gorgeous. It's two small lanes going through the forest, trees covering the whole thing. It's incredibly verdant because it is springtime and they've just got leaves covering all the trees. So it is beautiful. The one thing you want to note, the veteran um, advantage in this race, is as soon as you come out of the forest there, you want to be in the lead. And the reason for that is that's where all the cheerleaders are, and then you can look awesome and everything leaving the race <laughs> for the cheerleaders. But going through there, the first two miles is slightly uphill, usually fairly under control. We probably split five flat, five flat, um, or something through there. I actually have my splits on my computer. I could find them at some point. And then I want to say like mile four or something. Uh, this was when they had international athletes in the race. And a lot of Kenyans and Ethiopians on the roads are known for their surges. They love to throw surges in there. And one of them went, and he threw down a surge. And my goal for that race was, I knew they were going to be doing that, was not to go with every surge. Because four miles in, that's not a realistic thing. They're not going to keep the, the hammer down and go from four, right, you know, right. four miles into a 15-miler. So what my goal was was to kind of ride the, the middle, still stay somewhat connected, um, you know, maybe 10, 15 meters off their surge, so that when they slowed down again, I would just maintain that pace until I caught back up to them. So saying that, and that's what I did, I split a 435, I think, maybe a little faster, on the fourth mile of a 15-mile race, and I was dropped. <laughs> But then they slowed up, and they're running 455 pace, and you know I keep running 435 pace, and I catch right back up. And so I'm just kind of, they're surging, and 
falling back so their their pace kind of looks like a wave if you charted it and mine is just going to be a wave but of a much um, smaller height range difference I was trying to not go as fast on the fast portions as it's slow on the slow portions trying to ride the effort stay in the, the middle and the goal was that they would expend more energy than I would doing these surges plus they're going to be leading them myself because I'm not going to lead a surge or at least not until the end of the race mm-hmm. uh, and so that's the way the the race went so was that running through your mind when you felt like you were getting dropped there in mile four despite the the pace that you put down was just bide my time they're going to come back to me eventually carry me to something special it wasn't necessarily carry me to something special yeah but that was my plan going in you know in road racing time doesn't really matter unless you are going to set a record or Mm -hmm. unless you're trying to do something like Boston qualify. When road races are different courses, different weather conditions, it's very hard to measure from one year to the next. So I am most concerned about place, especially when I'm going to be in the, hopefully in the top 10 where you get prize money based Mm -hmm. on your place. So I wasn't so worried about the overall time. It was more, this is the best strategy for me to place the best. And there's a big difference between getting dropped because you can't hang and getting dropped because you don't want to hang with them Mm -hmm. with the way they're doing it. So what I would make sure to do is stay within range where, hey, if they kept this up for another two miles, I don't want to be running no man's land that long. Yes, I could run hard for 20 seconds and bridge that gap, 15 seconds, whatever it is. It's not that long of a time. I could bridge that gap. But at the same time, I didn't feel the need to go with them when they started running sub 430 pace four miles into the 15 and a half mile race. So yeah, it was intentional. The racing approach, just trying to run to win a race, gets you to that time. It becomes the byproduct then of of the way that you approached racing. So I didn't actually win that race. My my coach calls my racing style uh, that of a bulldog, where I'm not necessarily that great when I'm out there solo. On that day, if I got out by myself, probably would not run quite as fast. However, having someone to latch onto and just hold onto and try not to let go, 10, 11 miles in, that's where I go with all those searches because at that point, any of them could be real. So getting just, for me, it's very easy to hold on to someone and just not let a gap open. If all I'm focusing on is don't let the gap open, then I don't have to think about anything else. You just focus on that long enough and suddenly they've dragged you through a much faster time than you would have run by yourself. So they dragged me to, well, basically an American record. The The person who beat me was not an American. The person who was... 10 or so seconds behind me was Shadrach Biwat, who was an American, so I also knew that I had to keep the pedal down even once I got dropped at around 12 miles, because there was someone right behind me, and I did not want to lose uh, the national championship. Yeah, what'd that last three plus miles look like then? Okay, so there's a very clear divide. Um, When you head out, you go by the river park, you're in the trees, you come back on the other side, you're in the country, there's... um, state park or something or another to your right so it's very country and park and river and then you dip under and it's there's some railroad trestle or road bridge that you dip under and suddenly you're in the city and that's a very clean divide of hey you're in the middle part of the race 
And then when you dip under that, you've also finished the hills because the hills come from about seven to uh, 12 miles. So right when you start to hurt until right when the real race begins. <laughs> then you enter the city. Suddenly you've got, you're in neighborhoods with houses. You don't really see houses from mile two to mile 10 or 12 or so. And you wind through the zoo. And after you come out of the zoo, you run a mile straight on this really wide road. And going through the zoo, you're winding through, and that's when the guy made a move on one of the turns. And I tried to go with him. This is about his like third move since we entered the town. I just didn't have it at this point. But at that point, I think it was down to just him and I. We've got this long straightaway, and he's just inching away from me the whole time. My hamstrings are actually starting to charley horse on me a little bit when I'm running. So I have to back off half a step just to get that under control. And I was able to fight it all the way to the finish line. Once he made that move at the zoo, that was when the break was made, and it was just a matter of him slowly pulling away. I think he got me by 10, 12 seconds or so. I don't believe he broke one hour and 14 minutes. I was one hour, 14 minutes, and 18 seconds. Technically, it's it was 17.71 <laughs> seconds, I believe, but in road racing, because you cannot measure a course that accurately, everything gets rounded up to the next second, and so when we finished, no one knew if I'd broken the American record or not. Because the finish line clock, you never know if that's correct. You never know exactly where, you know, I was 0.29 off not not breaking it. Or actually, technically, I tied it at that point until later the person was proven to have been cheating mm -hmm. at that um, juncture in times when he set the record. He got uh, busted at the border. Customs busted him bringing um, some blood back in or some EPO or something back in. And then he admitted that he was cheating all the way back to January 1st of some year. And if you look at the results, there's a very clear jump in his results at a certain point, And it was before that mark. But that's when he admitted to doing it. And that's where all of his times were taken off the records. Right. And I believe uh, four national championships were wiped off the books. So it turned out that my first American uh, championship was not in D.C. at Cherry Blossom. It was a couple years before that at the 15K down in Jacksonville. Once you did find out that you had 114.18, what was the immediate reaction? Well, I remember Let's Run saying that they were making some big announcement and whatever. I went to sleep. I wake up the next morning. I got a bunch of texts congratulating me. I'm like, oh, so he finally got caught. Good, because we all knew he was dirty. But when I said when I found out that I tied the American record, uh, I th I think I played it cool. You know, I I've been here before. I, I knew <laughs> I was going to do that. That was the plan all along. Then I went back up into my hotel room and jumped around in circles, giggling and yeah, that's that's when everything broke loose. And then uh, I, on the way back, cause it's it was a two-hour drive for me at that point. I sang my heart out to every classic rock song that came on. It didn't have a voice by the time I got back. It's pretty amp to say the least. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Cherry Blossom. Mm -hmm. That 2014 season you had yeah. was really incredible because then you come back at Peachtree and win the 10K there as well. Yeah, three national champs in a row. Yeah, that that's really an amazing stretch. Could you give us a little background on what the year looked like? Your training, your structure, some of those things? Sure. So the year was just like any other year. I believe I'd run a marathon the year before in the fall, so take time off, recover. It takes me a long time to get back. If I take two weeks completely off, it takes me a while to get back in shape. So I was getting back in shape slowly. I was training in Ann Arbor at that point with the University of Michigan team. My coach was the uh, head cross country assistant track coach that you coach the distance guys. 
And so, you know, I'm there and doing 20 degrees, thinking that's a great day. Uh, doing my my tempo runs out there on the this two mile loop we had on uh, North Campus, which is the graduate campus. They always plow it, so we can do it. And um, the way it works is uh, where we had our mile marks. One mile was wind at your back, downhill. So I'd split like 457. Then you turn around and wind directly in your face, and you have this huge steep uphill right at the end of it. And I would split 457. 525. <laughs> That's how big of a difference it was. And 20 degrees with 20 mile per hour winds. And so at that point, you have no clue what type of fitness you're in. It's 60 degrees, no wind, you're doing it on a track. Sure, I'd be much faster on average. But out there, you're just you running the right effort level. You're getting the miles in, you're, you're getting the workouts in, and you're like, well, I'm running 525 for a tempo run, and I'm going down to race at Gate River... And I'm supposed to be running 445, 440 pace for nine miles. How is this going to work? But then you go down there and it's 60 degrees and there's no wind. And suddenly you're running really fast. I knew I was in good shape. I don't remember exactly how that Gate River went. But going into the 10 mile at Cherry Blossom. So that's another race that has international runners along with a American championship. And that was my first time racing there, I believe. And what I was told was, it might have been my second time, that the international runners like to take that one out really fast. And so I made up in my mind I was going to go with them whenever they made their move. If it was at the gun and I went out in 415, I was going out in 415. And I was just going to hang on for dear life as long as I could, employ that bulldog strategy again. Because apparently that's my strength, so might as well use it. So we go out and it's 448 for the first mile. We're jogging. You know, for a 10 mile at that level, uh, the American record is 46.13, which is 437.3 pace. It's something along the lines of 28.45 for 10K. And I knew I could go through that and still be in control. I I think I had done something similar down at the 15K. I knew it was a possibility because the winning time for that race is generally under 46 minutes under the American record. So if you just hang on, you can get dragged to it pretty easily. And so we go out, it's 448 for the first mile, 450 for the next one, and this race has a couple turnarounds. And in road racing, turnarounds, hills, those are the spots where moves are more likely to happen. And there is this one 180 degree turn, Um, you're just going around the median in a road, underneath the Kennedy Center, and then boom, you're back the other way. And that's right at three miles, and we have a huge pack. You know, there have got to be 25 people in this pack at least. But you've got this 180-degree turn coming up, so I put myself in the front because if a move's made and you're in a 25-person pack and you're the last person around there, the first person, if they go as soon as they make their turn, they're already 30 meters ahead and you're separated. You're not in the same race as them any longer. So I put myself in the front, and sure enough, they make the move coming out. And we hit the mile, you know, I just clicked the mile split. We hit the next one, and I'm not confident these mile splits are right. Instead, I'd run something like a 417 mile. <laughs> That's a feeling that everyone, regardless of level of competition, has had at some point when I think that splits off and you have that kind of brief moment of, how do I respond to this? Yeah, I'm like, I know we were going fast. Yeah. I Did I just run a 417? Because I still feel in control here. You know, it's not like I'm about to die. Okay, all right, whatever. It doesn't matter because, hey, these are the guys. I'm sticking with them. Now, going into that week, I just replayed that moment over and over again in my head. You know, I visualized it at one mile, at the gun, at three miles in, four miles in. 
um, just over and over again, I told myself when they moved, I was going to move. No question asked, I was going to go with them. And so when they made that sharp, hard move, and you know what? Maybe it was 417 pace, which means it was really fast. Mm. No one else made that move with me. I was the only American in the front pack. I think there were five of us. And it wasn't even difficult. It was just, okay, this is the next portion of the race. I'm ready for it. This is what I'm going to do. And boom, I was with them. Sure, it was it was tough. Racing is tough. When you go fast, yeah, it's tough. But it wasn't a difficult mental decision. It was, okay, this is what I planned for. Here it is. I'm ready for it. Let's do it. And so by the time I got dropped a little after 10K or so, maybe seven miles, um, and we did go through in 2840 or so, so we were ahead of American record pace if the 10K was right. I was well clear of the rest of the American field. Um, I was hanging on to one other guy, and the last two miles or so, you go out Heinz Point, which is the Potomac's on your right, you've got some cherry blossoms on your left, you go all the way down, you turn around, and oh, hey, you know what? You had a little bit of breeze at your back going down, so now you're running straight into the wind. The last mile and a half, the guy's sitting on me, and instead of continuing to run 437 pace, I'm running a five flat, and suddenly I'm no longer on American record pace. But it didn't matter, because the guy wasn't American, uh, and I was, at that point, my goal was to win the American championship. I'd never done one of those before. I didn't know I'd won the one back sure. in, yeah. at the 15K at that point. And so when I was approaching the finish, they told us the night before in the technical meeting that they were going to have a finish line tape for the winner of the race. And then they were also going to have a finish line tape for the American winner, as long as that wasn't a really close race. So I'm coming in, and this dude is you know half a step ahead of me. I'm like, you know what? Pretty sure I can beat him. I can't beat him by enough that they're going to put out a tape for me. So... <laughs> kind of backed off started waving let them set up that finish line tape for me savor it right and i lost 100 bucks and i would do it again no question <laughs> well worth it absolutely first win get that finish line shot should probably change it off my facebook profile because that was a while back but i'm too lazy for that now you've talked a little bit about some of the international competition you've run against mm -hmm. let's take it overseas for okay. a minute and some of your experience in japan because yeah We've seen a reemergence of American interest in the Japanese distance running scene recently, yeah. uh, amplified with Yuki's win at Boston. And they have a tremendous heritage of distance running in mm -hmm. Japan. You've had some experience racing it over there. Describe that experience. Yeah, so the first time I raced over there was on an Ivy League team. Yeah, I went to William & Mary. That's not Ivy League. So what the setup was is... Japan has Aikidens. It's their cross-country season. They don't do cross-country. They do Aikiden season, and Aikiden is a road relay race. You don't hand off a baton. You hand off a sash. It's got some Japanese name, which I forget. But in the pre-race interviews, more than half the questions are about how are you going to treat the sash? How are you going to mentally <laughs> prepare for this handoff? And all the Americans are thinking, how hard could it be? <laughs> As it turns out, in all of these races, I've never been the first one to hand off, so it's very easy just to watch everyone else and then duplicate what they do. <laughs> right. And as it turns out, the best way to do it is you hold the sash out in front of you, spread wide, so the person in front of you just kind of smashes their arm in between yours and they'll grab hold of it. So we go over there, and it is a college championship Aikiden. They have three big championship Aikidens. Think NCAA championships for cross-country, but they get three of them. And they invited a team 
made up of Ivy League runners, or in this case, some women Mary runners. We had actually three out of the eight people who came over were women Mary runners. And they had to add us in because they were told if they didn't finish in the top 10 out of the 21 teams, 20 Japanese teams, and then us, they wouldn't be invited back the next year. Mm. And the best they'd done previously was 12th because you don't have a lot of Ivy League runners going professional and the race is in October and you can't use active athletes. So you use people one or two years out. Sure. And if you haven't trained all summer, suddenly you're not quite as competitive. (laughs) And so they brought in some ringers. Uh, we were given the opportunity to go over there and run. It was an incredible experience. I got the first leadoff leg. It is a marathon in distance for the whole race, broken down into six legs. Mine was 8K, is the second longest, and it was the only round number. The other was like mm-hmm. 5.2K, 4.8, something like that, wherever they had a parking lot where they could have the exchange zone. <laughs> Create an exchange area, right? Yeah, because their roads are very narrow. And when we shot off the gun, it was an experience I've never had really since then. It was too loud to think. Every school there, this is kind of like a, um, a homecoming race for them. They had the streets lined four people deep for the first mile and a half or so. Every school had their marching band there. Their fans are all along the street. Three or four people deep on both sides, and they're screaming their lungs out. And we go out, I'm like, hey, I'm feeling great. There's a guy who's going off the front. I should go with him so I don't get dropped. (laughs) This is a good idea. And so I go with him, and I check my split for the first K, because the markers over there are in Ks. And I just run a 240, which is significantly faster than I could run 8K pace. (laughs) So after I went through the uh, the 5K in about 1410 or so, and this is my first year out of college, I paid the price for going out in 240 and an 8K. And it it got tough towards the end. Sure. But it was a great experience. Turns out we got eighth place. Eighth place is podium there. It's the last podium spot. Yeah. And you're getting invited back. Uh, The team got invited back. I was too old at that point to race again the next year. Mm -hmm. But it was a great experience. Um, We go to awards stand uh, ceremony and we get this, you know, very nicely wrapped package. We open it up and it's this book. Turns out it's the it's a catalog to their Coles or Macy's, <laughs> which <laughs> that surprised us. And then there was this piece of paper that was folded up, had some Japanese writing on it, and we give it to our interpreter, who is an Irish dude. Did not expect to hear an Irish accent in English when I went over to Japan, but he had some great recommendations for books, so I was really happy with it. We give him the piece of paper, and he unfolds it. He's like, this is 60 kilograms of rice you just won. <laughs> that's the prize and the really nicely wrapped thing was a catalog okay we can't take the rice back with us so our kind of sponsor the person who takes us all around has been doing this for like 20 years or something some 60 year old guy just got rice for life or however long that's gonna last him Uh, so yeah it was uh, it was pretty unique then um, the whole time we were there everyone had been extremely formal you're either you see them in suits or you see them in basically 80s style track suits, polyester, the little elastic bands around the ankles and the wrists, which are really annoying, but they're all dressed all the same. You see them in that or suits. There's no in between. And so we go to the post-race dinner and they've been super formal. I'm like, where's the Japan we hear about? And we're at this nice um, 
winery where you grill your own meat in the middle of the table. They bring you all the cut up meat and stuff. It's delicious. And we're eating that. And then we're told that we need to go on stage to perform our, well, every school has to perform their skit, song, whatever it is. It's starting to sound like summer camp. Yeah. And that we need to do that too. Okay. What do we do to represent the USA? Well, they have actually the the people who march at the front of parades, the conductors. They go up on stage and have them lead their school song and chant or whatever it is. Well, what can we do as the US people? Luckily, someone had YMCA on their nice on their iPad or whatever it was. So we went up there and we did the YMCA dance and we got stormed about halfway through and that little constructed stage it was going in a wave up and down i'm like this thing is gonna collapse we're all gonna get screwed it survived i did not go up there the second time later in the night when they all chased us down to get ymca and you know there might have been one or two americans up there the japanese just wanted to go up there and do ymca again they were loving it i had raided the michigan uh, equipment room beforehand i had struck a deal with the guy i'm like all right look this place is a chaos disaster i will organize the crap out of this place if i get anything like four years or older you know something you're never going to use again and so i got some extra large speed suits i took them over there i'm trying to trade for jerseys they can't trade for jerseys that is just not allowed they'll get kicked off the team they can trade me their t-shirts so i got a bunch of those and i give guys speed suit and he tries putting it on like a t-shirt he's got no clue what to do (laughs) this thing is 20 sizes too large for them I guess the Japanese, they're tiny. So I give him a, a jersey too, uh, just so you know he's not completely gypped because he's going to be swimming in this speed suit. It was a great night. Uh, the people who acted in as, as interpreters for us actually were a lot of the Kenyans who were on the Japanese teams. They could um, speak both English and Japanese, and they would do a lot of the translating for us. But you also just have for trade... Um, you just say trade and you kind of hold up what you're willing to trade or, or, you know, I'll dig through my bag and pull out something that I want to trade for that. And you get along with hand motions because everyone's looking for the same thing. You're all having a good time. When I came back about a month and a half later for another Ikeden, this one was the Chiba Ikeden. It's a international event. I was representing Team USA. And for that one, it's men and women combined. Uh, the women run 5K, 5K, 7.195K that's the the remainder for a marathon Mm -hmm. and the men run um, 5k 10k 10k and so I'm running my 10k leg and I look to the left and I'm like I know that guy why do I know a guy in Japan and it was this guy I traded with at the first one and he had gotten up on stage and he was he was blasted at this point very drunk and when their team did their their chant he had ripped off his team shirt and he had a big michigan jersey on (laughs) there you go (laughs) and so that made me remember him and i'm doing this i get in i'm doing the 10k and this leg was so lonely because there's no you know i can barely see the canadian guy ahead of me and you've got no splits you've got a halfway marker so you've got no clue how fast you're going so it is a very tough leg to run and i see this guy and i kind of look at him and he goes USA? And I point at him because I recognize him. The guy goes bonkers. I thought his head was going to explode. He just starts cheering and going crazy. And I continue racing. You know, I go, I get by him. And I'm racing in a straight line for another mile or so. 
And suddenly he's up ahead of me again. I'm like, I just ran in a straight line. How did you beat me up ahead? And he's going nuts again. And I'm pointing at him because you can point pretty easily without sacrificing any speed. Mentally, you feel great about it. And it you know, lifts yeah, you up Yeah, you got a new number one fan here. Yeah, exactly. It was great. So that was a, a great experience. The, the race, not so much. I bombed a little bit. But yeah, the Aikidens over in Japan are great. What a neat experience. That yeah. is so cool. And nothing says American culture like the village people. So <laughs> way, way to take that to Japan. It was a fantastic choice. They loved us. Everyone stopped what they were doing and started doing the YMCA dance with us. And yeah, I remember just enough from my childhood to pull it off. Yeah. So uh, let's bring it back your stateside. You have followed your coach for many years. Mm-hmm. You said you were in Michigan. You've bounced around and... What has made that relationship, coach-athlete, so special and so successful for you? Well, so he's my college coach. I got my first recruiting call by the previous coach at William & Mary, and then he left uh, for Stanford. And then I got my second recruiting call from uh, Alex Gibby. He's still my coach to this day. Uh, And so I ran six years at William & Mary, uh, because you can get a couple red shirts if you get super injured many times. (laughs) had quite a few seasons that would have qualified. And when I finished, that was the summer that he got the job up at Michigan. At that point, I was a nothing coming out of college. You know, I qualified for regionals, didn't qualify for nationals because, well, I had run seven days of the last 14 right before regionals due to various injuries, one of which was as stupid as running over some uh, mossy bricks entering the stadium trying to make a hard turn with speed, falling and smacking my knee hard on the ground. I didn't really have many options. I liked my coach. I think his coaching philosophy works very well with my body's natural talents and the way I mentally approach the sport is very similar to his. So we get along very well there. I'm not saying he's the best coach. I think he's pretty good. But I think that the fact that my body's natural talents line up with his is not gonna be the same in all the other systems. So if I find something that works, I'm going to stick with it. It's the fit for you. Yeah. And so I followed him up to Michigan. I was a volunteer assistant coach for the first two years up there. And then I stepped back from that and just trained with the team uh, for the next two years. So I was under him there as well. Then he left and came down to Charlotte. Um, I followed him for a couple reasons. You know, not only because you want to be where your coach is, but also Charlotte's not quite as cold as Michigan, (laughs) and if you don't have access to the indoor track and training with the team up there, winters are suddenly not so fun, and not you can't get the quality training you need if you don't have access to an indoor track too. So it also made sense for me to come down here. He has been my coach since I entered college, and he still is my coach. And now he's in Boston. He is in Boston. What's that dynamic been like? It is actually not new. Uh, I have done distance coaching, uh, remote coaching before, uh, before I ran the Chicago Marathon, which is actually my PR. Uh, I did a training session out in the Seattle area. I was doing an internship for accounting, basically fell in my lap, so I have a master's of accounting. I said, why not? So I went out there, I was working an internship there, I was doing five hours a day, um, commute was actually three hours total each day. Um, I was staying at my parents' place because I didn't want to pay rent in two locations. And my parents live on Bainbridge Island, a big island in the middle of the Puget Sound. And so with walking to the bus station, taking a bus to the ferry, taking a ferry into the city, and then walking up to 
the uh, office building that was an hour and a half and they walk from the ferry in Seattle up to the office building I, if you don't know Seattle it is incredibly steep for the first few blocks yeah, away from right. the water like in one city block you can go up about two and a half stories so if I had worked out that more no let's do it the other way if I had just done a regular run that morning it'd take me about 10 minutes <laughs> If I'd done a workout that morning, that walk would take me 20 minutes. It would take me twice as long. So I did my training session out there, and he's been my coach, I mean, for now, over 10 years. So I say, hey, what's my workout for tomorrow? So like last night, that's what I, I texted him. Workout for tomorrow, question mark. He texts me back, 10 hills, 80, 85% effort. I know exactly what that means. He knows I know exactly what that means. We both know that I'm going to go out and do the hills in the manner that he would like them done because I've been his athlete for so long. You know, that's 12 years I was his athlete where he was watching over all of my workouts. It's not a big deal for him to say, okay, go do a 45 minute tempo run or, you know, here's the fart lick, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two with two minutes rest. Go. He knows I'm going to get it done. So it gets it a little trickier when you get later in the season and it's not just tempos and fartlicks and hills uh, when you start doing mile repeats and stuff. But again, I've done so many workouts under him. We, we both have a, an understanding that it's pretty easy for us. Yeah, sounds like a great foundation of trust in that relationship and great experience together over all those years. Yeah, and you know the other part is his job is not to make me run fast. His job is to make the Harvard people run fast. That's what he gets paid for. If he gives me the workouts and I go out there and I don't do them or anything, you know, that's that's all on me. I'm the one who is asking him for the workouts. I'm the one, you know, the onus is on to go out and to perform because this is my livelihood. And this is my job at the moment. Yes, he wants to see me do well. He would stop giving me workouts if I didn't do them or if I don't perform it's not like he's going to lose his job or something. It's not so much trust on his part. Um, yes, it is trust that I'll do him and I'm not lying to him, but it's pretty obvious if I show up to a race and he's like, no, according to those workouts, you should have run much faster. What's going on? <laughs> it's more that he gives them to me and I know exactly what he wants so I can go out there and get it done. Yeah. Uh, you've been injured recently. Mm-hmm. Could you get into a little bit about how your recovery is going? Sure. But also... Uh, what that's been like in the coach-athlete relationship, too, with him being in Boston. Okay. So last year, I was at the annual meeting for USATF. First night, I went out there. I ran with a couple people. It was a little on the slower side because we had an 800-meter runner out there, and we were dragging him for seven miles, and that was probably his longest run all year. And we get back. I'm fine. No problems. Go out the next morning, and I'm running with uh, some people, and one of them wants to start at 545 pace which generally that's what I work down to take 20 minutes to warm up into a run so I'm like all right I feel like crap for the first five minutes but I'll be fine you know that's that's my pace it's very tough for me to find people that want to run that pace so someone's offering I'm going to take them up take it it. where you can get it right (laughs) right uh and overnight the trails were running in the morning the trails had iced a little bit so there's some ice on some portions of the trail this is Columbus Ohio in December and suddenly I'm feeling pain in my left soleus area. The soleus is above the Achilles, below the calf. And it's not feeling great. I probably should have cut the run maybe 20 minutes in, but I wanted to run. I wanted to get it done. 
So I go 50 minutes or so and I come back and it does not feel good. And suddenly I look down my leg and, hey, there's there's a bump on the back of my leg. There's not supposed to be a bump there. And so it hurts. You know, I, I ice it. Pretty easy to ice in hotels. I bring my own ice bags because you got to be prepared. Or you just use the laundry bags there. Uh, but if you do that, you want to put a towel underneath because I've soaked my bed before and had to sleep in wet because <laughs> I screwed that up. So... I ice it. I'm walking around all day. It's pulling. It's painful walking around. I'm like, this is not good. Uh, the next day, I take five steps into my run. I think I ended up going for a minute trying to push through it to see if it would loosen up. Because generally with soft tissue stuff, you want to run 20 minutes because then your leg loosens up to see if it's going to feel better. Three minutes in, I'm like, this is not it. I'm done for the day. It, it was way too bad. There's no way it was going to be runnable. And so you start the, the process of, hey, I'll take one day off. Okay, that's not working. I'll take three days off and cross train. And then I'll see if I can work back into running. You know, maybe jog 20 minutes and then cross train for the rest of it, but work back into running. And that extends to the point where I'm taking two weeks off my feet, cross training before I start coming back into it. I try and run through some pain where the idea is if you can run with a set level of pain and it's not that bad for 20 minutes one day. And the next day you can run with the same amount of pain, but for 25 minutes. Or you can run for 20 minutes with slightly less pain, then you're making improvements. You're running more on the same pain or you're running the same amount with less pain. That's good. Uh, I was able to do that, built up to like 95 minutes for the long run, and then it regressed a lot. And so by this point, the day it hurt was December 1st. I'm into February, and I'm, my coach tells me to, to cross train, you know, get back on the cross training. I'm calling him on the phone and we're talking about it. I'm sending a picture of the big ginormous lump on the back of my leg, and I'm just like, no, I'm mutinying right now. This is just not going to happen. <laughs> I, was like, I can cross-train forever, but if I can't run, it doesn't matter how long I protect my fitness. Because I had cross-trained for about a month and a half uh, you know, with only sporadic running in between to figure out, oh, no, it's not better yet, and before I built back up to that 95 minutes, and I felt fine when I came back. So I took some time off. I got an MRI. The MRI comes back very clearly, yes, you tore your soleus. You know, I'm looking at the, the MRI and I don't know what it means, but what I can see is the outline of my leg. And then right where the soleus is, I see this bright white spot going across the soleus and it's going like a third of the way across the soleus. So I tore it pretty good, apparently. Mm. I don't know, they told me it was a subacute tearing. What it meant was I was off my feet for three weeks doing absolutely no exercise whatsoever. When I came back from that, I was able to run without pain, but holy crap, was I out of shape. Month and a half off, but I'm doing an hour on the elliptical every day. I can come back and run. Three weeks off, oh geez, I was getting dropped by the guys who were going slow just for me. Or I was huffing and puffing and be like, you know, I normally work down to 550 pace. We're running 610, and if we go any faster, I'm not going to be able to talk and run at the same time. <laughs> and this is supposed to be a relaxed regular run. So it took a while to come back. It's, it was first build up the running to the point where I could run every day of the week. We started with two days on, one day off. Then we built up three days on, one day off, all the way to five days on, one day off, and then we just went for the whole week. And now I'm on the schedule of every other week I get a day off. And when I go up higher in mileage, that's kind of indicative of what my whole season will be like. I'll have an up week and then I'll have a down week. And the down week includes a an easy day. And I don't like taking days off when I'm at high mileage because I feel really weird the next day. I'll take a day of 30 minutes where, you know, if you're averaging 20 miles every other day, 
A day of five miles is easy, but it gets me moving, gets my legs moving, and I get to stretch out. So I prefer that to a day off. So what I'm doing now is very similar to what I will be doing once my mileage gets up, but I'm just not there yet. So it took a while to come back. My last four workouts, five workouts, I've actually felt good. I have been able to successfully complete the workouts. So I have worked back to health. I am finally going full bore at all these workouts. Haven't had to worry about the soleus for the past month and a half or so. It's just, you know, go at things. Great. Um, worked uh, the weight room back into my routine, and that and strides are the last two things I need to put back to be completely normal. It's been a long time, but I'm there. Now, what are some of the goals moving forward as you talk about putting those last pieces together in the training? Uh, what are you looking forward to? Okay, so they're the last pieces back in the training, but then it's, okay, we need to have those pieces now that they're back there for a good 12 weeks, and then we'll really be in good shape. Goals going forward, I just started thinking of my first race five days ago. I had intentionally not been thinking of races before that because the last thing I want to do is put a race on the schedule, push my training to get ready for it, do something before I'm ready for it, or overdo something and get hurt again. So it was more of a okay, what is the body capable of doing this week? You know, Can I put in another workout? Is it going to be okay? Go out, do the workout. It was fine. We'll do a second one this week. You know, that sort of thing. Instead of saying, hey, you have a race in seven weeks. We need to be doing these workouts. They need to be at this pace, at this duration for us to be ready at that point. And my body was not ready to start doing those things a while back so I didn't want to think about races and put myself in a bad position where I'm getting frustrated because I'm not hitting the times I want to hit to be ready for the race and that sets me back physically mentally whatever so so a really smart longer term approach there in the training oh absolutely you know when I'm ready there will be races I will go out there and do them Mm -hmm. Uh, the first one I started looking at this weekend which I just started getting in contact with them was Falmouth So hopefully that'll be my first race. I'd love to go back there again. My coach told me I may or may not be ready by that point, but (laughs) regardless, we'll give it a whirl. We'll see what happens. I think that I will be ready. We'll see. Just had a great hill repeat workout this morning, so I think I should be ready to go by then. Cool. Now, you mentioned that the ice in Columbus was part of the reason that uh, you've been in the position you've been in for a few months here. Columbus is also a site of a great accomplishment for you, though, as well. The U.S. Half Marathon Championships there. And that distance has become a super popular race distance for the casual runner. Mm -hmm. I know that you are doing some coaching now yourself as well, and I'd love to move that direction with the discussion. And if you could maybe start with just a few simple tips from your experience at that half marathon distance that so many people are getting into right now. I mean, I think the first tip is going to be very general is that you want to run negatively. You want to be in control for two thirds or more of your race before you really put that hammer down. That is what happened in that race when I went out and won the the half marathon champs there was I was sitting in the back of the pack for the first 10 miles and um, or nine miles or so, and I had moved up to the front of the pack. We had about 12 people with us running double file at around nine and a half, and because I had uh, talked with my coach, and uh, the game plan was to move at 10 miles, 10 miles-ish, mm-hmm. I decided to move directly at 10 miles. Why? 
So when I made my really fast mile, I could get an exact mile split. You got you kind of get the, the info, right? Yeah, because I'm not wearing a Garmin. I was in control. I was just in the middle of the pack, biding my time, um, which is what I recommend for other people too. For the first 10 miles of a half marathon, 9, 10 miles, just relax. Go out there. You're running hard. No question, you're running hard. It doesn't feel easy. You know, there's going to be discomfort there. But you don't want to be on the edge from mile one because unless it is your perfect day on perfect temperatures, you're going to hit the wall at some point. And it feels so much better to run anything negatively than to go positive in the race. And of course, that means running negatively is to run the second half faster than the first half or whatever your two comparisons are. And so I ended up making a big move right at mile 10 when everyone was looking down at their watches. I think I went off. The next 800 was probably around a 210 or so because I split 430 for that mile and it definitely ran positively for that mile. But it created a big enough gap that they weren't able to catch me over the last two. So that was how I was able to pull away. And I would recommend a more limited version of that strategy to everyone else and that run controlled for the first 910 and then really start attacking it. You're going to feel much better. You're going to have more in the tank. Running really fast for the last few miles is a lot more fun than running significantly slower than average. Uh, The other thing is tempos are your friend. Long tempos, whatever that means for you. Personally, for half marathon training, we'll get up to around 50, 60 minutes. Uh, Long tempos are the base of my coach's entire training program, and they are incredibly useful. That's where you build your fitness. That's where you build the base that you work on with all the other workouts. If you don't have that in there, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot and taking out a big chunk of what you could be doing. So could you get into your own coaching program a little bit? Maybe give everyone some information about what you're doing now. Sure. So I coach uh, online. I use a running site called Final Surge. What it, it allows me to do is there's a calendar view and on that calendar view, you can put in run, bike, yoga, cross train, whatever it is, you know, and for each um, activity, you've got subcategories too. So I'll put in, you know, run, uh, maintenance run in my vernacular, my coach's vernacular. That's just a regular run. But we term it that way because it's not a run where you're just going out there and doing a sprinter shuffle and jogging. The regular run days, uh, you're still going out there and accomplishing something. They're not just go out, jog, rest, recover days. Uh, you're getting some aerobic benefit out of it. I tell you what you do on each day. I tell you how far to go. I can put notes in there. I can write up what every workout means, how I want all the tempos done, the fart licks, the hill repeats, progression runs. That's also going to be dependent on what you're training for and what your training capabilities are. I'm coaching people right now that aren't doing workouts. I'm coaching people that are doing two workouts a week. So it all depends on what you have done in the past and what you're looking to do in the future. Uh, So I can see what you've done. You put your notes there. I write comments back to you. You see when I viewed it so you know that I'm doing my end of it. Um, At the beginning of this, uh, I I give you a questionnaire to fill out so I can get all the basics done. And then we have a 30-minute in-person or Skype interview um, where we go over more of the fine details, the very uh, specific things to you so that you can ask me any questions you want, but at the same time, I'm finding out more about you so I can tailor the training program to exactly what you want and what works for your lifestyle. Because if it doesn't fit into your daily routine, you're probably not gonna do it, you're not gonna get the most out of it, and that doesn't help either of us. The way I wanna make it happen is that it fits seamlessly into your routine, your life, you're running with the same people, 
if that works for the program so that it's very easy for you to accomplish the training program, then you're going to run faster. And where can people find out more about your program? Uh, you can find out more about my program on crystallandry.com, my personal website, or ascentrunningcoaching.com. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but I'm trying to build a, a couple different services around the Ascent Running name. Cool. So hopefully in the future we'll have Ascent Running Racing or Ascent, uh, for road races or Ascent Running Retreats for adult running retreats over the weekend. Oh yeah, very yeah. neat. All right, it's time for the bell lap with Christo to wrap things up. First, what shoes are you training in right now? Some Brooks. I don't even know what the name of them are. But they're working. It's it's a neutral shoe. It works for me. It's something on sale. Uh, one of my running <laughs> buddies got me. He works at the running store. It's keeping me healthy. Good. Sounds good. Uh, what do you crave immediately after a race? Pizza. No question. I don't allow myself to have pizza during the week because I have no self-control around pizza. And if there's a whole pizza in front of me, I'm going to eat a whole pizza. Not a good idea before the race. So after the race, that's when I eat the whole pizza. You sound like a stronger man than me. What kind of toppings are you going with there? Doesn't matter. Meat. Anything. You'll take it. Okay. Best thing you've read lately? Oh, shoot. That's the reason why I don't get sleep. <laughs> when I have books and I'm finishing them. Yeah. Uh, I am an epic fantasy guy. So okay. Game of Thrones, Malzahn Book of the Fallen, Wheel of Time, that sort of thing. That's my wheelhouse. Great. Uh, your favorite run in Charlotte? Favorite run in Charlotte? Shoot, Ann Springs Greenway and the Whitewater Center. Those two places yeah. are great. 25 miles at Ann Springs Greenway, all single track, all shaded, whitewater. Uh, they've got over 30 miles of trail now. Um, it's a little twisty turny, but it's all soft surface, all shaded. It's great. I guess to rewind, I should ask your favorite pizza in Charlotte also. Benny's Pizza. It's right down the road from me. I eat one, maybe two slices when I'm really hungry. You think that's weak? Yeah, these slices are ginormous. We talk in New York style, Chicago, somewhere. It's, it's in... New York style, but one pizza is. Ah, oh, shoot! How big is this? Maybe <laughs> twenty-four inches or so. Based on how far apart his hands were, right there, that is a fairly large pizza. Yes. Favorite ice cream flavor? Black raspberry. Ooh, you're quick on that. Are you an ice cream guy? <laughs> yeah. So, what is like? What's your guilty pleasure then? I'm going a little off the chain here, but what's your guilty pleasure? When I'm in the middle of the season and I'm burning ridiculous amounts of calories, I will have six different types of ice creams in the freezer so I can match the ice cream with my mood. Oh, I like that. That yeah. sounds weird. You're my kind of guy, Krista. Do you have a guilty pleasure in like the TV, movie, Netflix world too? I will go through different TV shows. So I like the first few seasons of Suits, White Collar, Hustle, it's by the BBC, Leverage, yes, they're con man shows. Con yeah, I was going to say, we have a theme going on here. I, I do enjoy those. And then also, I am a little bit of a nerd. I do like to play computer games too. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, Civilization has taken up way too much of my time. <laughs> and I built a nice gaming computer so I could play Age of Empires 2 on it. Very cool. All right. Christo Landry, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, that's all for now. We will see you next time on the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Have a great week.